This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus, for light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. Chapter 7 today, Luke chapter 7 today. Have you guys ever invited somebody to a party that you didn't think was going to come? Like you just did it to be nice? And they ended up showing up, and you're like, dang it, they weren't supposed to be here. I was just being nice, right? Um, so, yeah, so this weekend kind of reminded me, um, this was years ago when we were at, at a BSM in college. We had a friend named Ted, and um, Ted and his wife Lisa were from New Orleans. Like, that's, what they, that's how they taught New Orleans. And um, Ted wanted to have a little Halloween party, and you know we would just dress up. It would be a great time. And at the time, um, there was this this kid that we met, and he was the equivalent to like Steve Urkel. Um, you guys seen Family Matters? So he was like the Mexic, the Hispanic Steve Urkel. Um, and and a lot of people were annoyed by him. I was entertained. I thought this guy, I was like, wow, this is a train wreck in person. Like, this is wonderful. So um, I thought it would be nice to invite him to our Halloween party, which I was not hosting, by the way. Um, It was at Ted's house. And as we are getting ready to go, I get a call from Ted. Now, the party started at 7. I get a, a call at 545. And Ted is like, like, bro, who's this cat in my house? I was like, who? He's like, this, this guy named, you know, I'm not going to say his name just in case I won't get sued. But, uh, <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking? He's like, he's already there? And he's like, yeah, he's at my house. And he said he's here for the party. And then he calls me back again 30 minutes later. He's like, hey, what, what time, when, when are you going to get here? Um, and it just kept going. And um, I didn't realize how detrimental this person was. Um, I thought it was funny. But. Um, everybody else did it, but ended up like somebody that invited that I didn't really think was going to show up, showed up and kind of crashed the party a little bit. Um, it wasn't mine, so I didn't care, but um, it was a good laugh. We laugh about it now. Uh, it wasn't funny then. And today we're going to look at a scene where Jesus is at this dinner party and there's a, an unexpected person that shows up and kind of crashes it, but not for Jesus. They, they crash it for the Pharisees. They kind of ruin it all. But in God's like perfect plan, he ordained this moment for this lady. Um, so it's going to be pretty awesome to see this. So it ties into a parable. Remember, like I could talk about the parable. We got to connect it. Like, why does Jesus give this parable? Who is he talking to? What's the whole point of it all? So look at um, Luke chapter 7, and, and we're going to start in verse 36. This is where we we start our passage out. And this is what the word of the Lord says. I'm just going to go ahead and read through it, and then we'll we'll talk about it. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's home and reclined at the table. 
A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, and that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you, because I just exposed you. Uh, tell me, teacher, he said. So here's the, here's the parable. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You, who, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet, and you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Verse 47, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven, I'm sorry, yeah, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests uh, began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We pray for us. God, we love you, and we ask for your um, guidance this morning. Lord, help me to teach this uh, correctly and in this context. Father, help me to gather my thoughts and remember everything that was studied and uh, be with us today. In your name we pray all these things. Amen. All right, so let's jump into it. Look at verse 36. This is really interesting. There's a lot of questions that need to be answered here. All right, so it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus, so we know that this Pharisee, uh, singular, his name is what? Simon. Now, a lot of people see this, and you immediately think, all oh, the Simons of the Bible. All right, he's none of those. Uh, his name is Simon. Uh, Simon was actually a normal cultural name. It's like in the Hispanic tradition, Juan. Right? Like, there's a lot of, in Luis, there's a lot of Luises. I mean, this is kind of normal. Maria, those type of things. So Simon was one of those, like, cultural names that everyone just kind of had. Or, or they knew somebody in their family that, um, that had that name. So he had a dinner party, and he invited Jesus to his house. Now, the way that they would have dinner in those days is that they would recline. So the table would be closer to the floor. It's not like how we do it with tables and chairs. They would have a huge setup on the ground, and then they would have, like, couches around that table. So you pretty much lay on the table. You, you, you lay on, like, that left hand. You just kind of, like... Lay back, chill a little bit, and then you eat. I know I'm like super awkward right now. <laughs> um, and then you eat with your right hand. You don't have silverware or forks. That's kind of what you did. You used bread. And, and dinners were long processes in those days. It wasn't like show up, 
order some like DoorDash and let's go. No, like there was a long process. It was hours. It was a lot of talking and, and getting to know each other. So this Pharisee had a dinner party. Jesus, Jesus shows up. He's reclining, kind of like everybody else does. And then somebody crashes this dinner party. And it's this woman. Now, we don't know her name. But what we do know is it says that a woman, in verse 37, a woman in that town had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, this is, this is different than the anointing that happened in Bethany because there was another instance where this happens with Jesus. But this is a different woman. This is not um, Mary, sister of Martha and Lazarus. This is somebody that's different. What do we know about her? They said that she lived a sinful life. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say what that sinful life was. But based on what was the Pharisees believed, based on what it looked like, she was probably a prostitute. Or she did something that was so outrageous in that culture, society, that, that she was labeled a sinful woman. So remember, like the Pharisees, they were like the tax collectors and then those who have sinned. You know, so they would put labels on people based on kind of their lifestyle or what they did. So what we know from this lady is that she was extremely sinful, probably prostituted herself, and she shows up at this Pharisee's house. Now, something I asked was, like, how in the world does she get in? You know, you just walk through the front door? But, but look what she has on hand. So she shows up, and she has this, this white alabaster jar of perfume, extremely valuable and expensive. So as she walks in, I could probably see them just letting her go because of what she had in hand. She probably didn't say anything. She just like barged in there. And then soon as she learned that Jesus was at this guy's house, she got there as soon as possible with this alabaster jar of perfume. Look at verse 38, and as soon, I'm sorry, and she stood behind him, who is Jesus, at his feet, weeping. So remember, Jesus is reclining, kind of body laid out. She's standing behind him, and it doesn't say she's crying. She's like weeping, like boohooing, like, like just tears are flowing. Like this is a very, very emotional time and place for this woman to the point where she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and then kissed them and then poured perfume on them. That's odd. That's a real weird thing to do, isn't it? But we're going to talk a little bit about why this is so important, what she just did. Then look at verse 39. And then when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, I think this is so interesting. You got to look at scripture and the wording here. He didn't say it out loud. He said it to himself. Have you guys ever done that before? Like if you see somebody at Walmart walking in, like, what is she wearing? <laughs> I didn't say that out loud, but I say it to myself. Right? Like somebody walks by, you're like, dang, that dude stinks, bro. Take a shower. I didn't say it out loud. But I said it to myself. 
So, so it's, it's interesting that he says that the Pharisee who invited him, so Simon saw this scene happening, and he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know not to be, like, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman this is, that she's a sinner. A.K.A., how are you going to let this fly? How in the world are you going to let some lady come in? We all know the reputation. We know what she's about. Come in here, cry at your feet, and touch you. Because you're not going to be able to go to the temple with us. So if you were a prophet, you would have foresaw this happening. You would have known that this lady was going to come in. You would know who she is just by looking at her. And you would not even let her get near you because of her lifestyle and the sin in her life. Because this is going to exclude you from the temple ceremonies. But the joke's on them, because Jesus is like, yeah, actually, I did know who she was. I did know what she did, and I did know she was going to be here today, and I did know exactly what she was going to do when she walked in. And I'm letting it go. Because there's a bigger purpose here. Because it's not about you, Simon. It's about this woman. And Jesus is going to show us something incredible. And what I want us to understand here, it took a lot of courage for her to walk in this house full of, um, of Pharisees and dignitaries and, and all these. And then the disciples are there, like all these men just sitting around eating. It took a lot of courage for her to show up. She was probably ashamed. She was probably terrified. She's probably super scared, not knowing what was going to happen. Are they going to stone me? Are they going to throw me out? Are they going to call me out? But what we see here is that she's seeking forgiveness. She is in desperate need of forgiveness, in desperate need of fulfillment. And how do we know that? Because of her weeping. Her weeping is a symbol of deep repentance. She came to Jesus looking for forgiveness, and she came in with a repentant heart and a repentant spirit. And that takes a lot of courage, knowing the environment that she's in. But she's like, I got to get to Jesus. He's the only one that could do this. I've heard stories. I got to know. And the Simon sees this, says it to himself. And then I love how Jesus answers because he talks to himself and Jesus, this is verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Not everybody else in the room. Because they're not the one that, that had something to say. He's like, I got to tell you to your face, Simon. Wouldn't that be awesome if we did more of that? <laughs> no. <laughs> You're like, depends who you ask. Like, I heard everybody, like, no, nah, I'm going to go address you right now. So Simon points him out. I mean, Jesus points Simon out. And then look how Simon responds. And I think his response was kind of shocking. Like, okay, tell me, teacher. <laughs> like, he called him teacher now. So look at verse 41. So here's the story. The story is so simple. This is one of the most simple parables that Jesus teaches. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50 denarii. Now, 500 denarii is about two years' wages. So remember, a denarii is like one day's wage. Do the math. All right, so verse 42. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both of them. Now, which one of them will love him more? Guys, this is simple. 
This is so easy. This is not rocket science. Jesus is throwing this out there so that way they could respond to this because this is such an obvious answer. And look how Simon answers him. Well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiveness. You suppose? God, this answer is so obvious. And I think Simon kind of knew where he was going. And Simon knew that he was like, ah, like Jesus is going to get me. He's like, I, I, I guess. No, you know the answer. So he says, I suppose the one with the bigger debt. Well, duh. And then Jesus says, yeah, you have judged correctly. And look at the word Jesus says here. What word does he use? You have what? Judged. He doesn't say you've guessed correctly. He didn't say you chose correctly. He didn't say you gave the right answer. No, no, no. Based on your judgment, because that's how Pharisees viewed the world. Pharisees walked around the world with this lens of judgment based on what they knew on the law. So everything that they talked about was about judging people based on what they knew and what they did. It was all about their works. It was all about, I went to the temple. It was all about, look at me pray. You don't know how to do that. So in society, I'm a little bit higher than you are. So Jesus points him out. He's talking to him like, this is who you are. Hey, you judge correctly. Congratulations. Then gave him the Nancy Pelosi clap. All right. So <laughs> then verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. All right, so Jesus is now calling out Simon because Simon welcomed him to his house, set up a huge dinner party for him, but did not welcome Jesus. I don't know if y'all caught that. You see, in these days, in these times, whenever you would go, if I were to invite you to my house, the way I would show hospitality to you is that I would bring you kind of a basin of water so that way you could wash your feet in. Or I would do it for you, or I would get one of my servants to do it for you. It's the equivalent of you coming to my house and saying, hey, do you want anything to drink? Or, hey, can I take that coat from you? Guys, this is so, this is basic hospitality 101 in this Palestinian time age. <laughs> like, this is so normal. And this guy, Simon, didn't even do that for Jesus. And Jesus is calling him out on it. And he's like, this lady, like, you didn't even offer water for me to clean my feet like every other person does. You just got me in here. And Jesus knew exactly their heart, and he knew their intentions. So he's like, this lady, you didn't offer me a welcome. You didn't offer me a basin of water. She brought it. She brought that basin of water with her to me. And this ain't even her house. So Jesus is like, look, this lady, she's welcoming me into her life. So she is using her tears. She's using her hair to clean my feet. That's the water, and that's the towel. So that's a whole welcome to her. This is incredible. And then look at verse 45. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You see, in those times, that's how... People would greet each other. Men would do that as well. And that Palestinian, like you go and you just do like a quick 
peck on each side, and that was it. That's how you do it. And then you keep it moving. I mean, it's normal. Simon didn't even do that with Jesus. So you didn't welcome me into your home. You didn't show me any signs of respect because that's what you would do. And then you didn't put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. So wild. You see, and in those times as well, oil was a sign of covering. Like they would put oil on your head as a sign of like, I got you. Like, I don't just welcome you, I don't just respect you, but you're also honored in my home. And Simon didn't do any of these things. And that's what, but what this woman did was that she came to Jesus desperately in need of forgiveness to the point of saying, like, if I could just get him to understand. So I'm going to welcome him, I'm going to honor him by kissing his feet, and I want him, and I want to, I want to just show respect. I want Jesus to recognize me. And she's doing all these things. And listen, this alabaster perfume, it ain't cheap. It, it, this is not cheap. This isn't like a little Walgreens cologne. That's twenty dollars. This would be the equivalent of like a eight thousand dollar bottle of perfume or cologne. This is not cheap stuff. And she's pouring it, this oil, on Jesus's feet. This is, in, this is an incredible scene right here. So they're, they're looking at him, and they're trying to call him out. And Jesus is trying to call them out and says, look, look, no, no, like, look what she's doing. And then look at verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. What I want us to understand here is that she was forgiven because she was not forgiven because she loved a lot. Understand this. A lot of people look at this story and like, yeah, Jesus forgave her because she like showed love to him. You see that that would erase the picture of this parable. The parable, the picture of the parable is about unconditional forgiveness to the sinner that God offers. That's what it's about. And as a result of unconditional forgiveness and love, the result of that is you show love because you have been forgiven. There's, there's a change that happens in your life when God truly forgives you and you understand what he forgave you for. So I want us to understand, like, the things that she did, those, those were just instruments that she used but we get clarity in this. Jesus clears this up because look what he says in verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And others began to say, like, who is this that even forgives sins? And in verse 50 is the answer. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, she was forgiven not because of what she did. She was forgiven because of her faith that she had that knowing that Jesus could do it. And when she was forgiven unconditionally, a result of her forgiveness was love toward him. Guys, it all starts with faith, though. It was her faith. Her faith was the action that caused forgiveness. And the love was a result of the forgiveness that Jesus gave her. Man, I love this story. 
And I think, I don't know if, if we truly understand sometimes how destructive sin is. I think like we, th- we talk about it, we like live it sometimes, we're like, ah, it's cool. But we, we truly don't understand how destructive sin really is. Sin does a lot in our lives. This lady came to Jesus in tears, in desperation, probably from the years of guilt and shame that she's been acquiring of people telling her how worthless she is and how sinful she is and how set apart from society she is. And she came in tears. And something that sin does is that sin like pulls us away from the world and it keeps us away from the thing that could truly love us and forgive us. It keeps us away from it. When in reality, we need to go to him. But what sin says is like, no, you're too bad. You can't go to Jesus. He's not going to forgive you. you. What you did, mm, it's not going to work. You know, I, um, we, we had a, a, a big, like they, they call it like a, a leadership retreat for work. And it was at the Arlington Convention Center. And um, it, it's, it's amazing. I, I, go, I walk in there and we're late because we're giving a presentation and uh, my coworker and I sit in the back, and we sit next to the table of people doing sign language. And as I look, I recognize the guy doing sign language. I was like, dude, that's, uh, you know, so-and-so. I'm not going to say their name. But I haven't seen them in a long time. And I remember growing up with them. I remember they actually came to our church. They, they, they were in the youth group. Even if they were, they were in a different church, we allowed them to come to Super Summer with us, and I'm looking at him, and, you know, he's busy doing his sign language deal, so I'm trying to mess him up, like, hey, what's up? Uh, <laughs> now you get in trouble for that. But, but at, at the break, um, I finally got a chance to talk to him. I was like, dude, what's going on? I'm like, man, I've seen you in years. He's like, oh, it's the Ricky Cotto. You know, it was, so we were um, kind of doing the whole chit-chat thing, and like, hey, man, where you at? Like, any kids, any relationships? I mean, like, I mean, I know the, the answer. And then we're just kind of cutting it up. And I was like, oh, you got your, like, your little, like, bad bunny nose piercing thing. Uh, yeah. Um, but then I asked him about his family. And I was like, dude, you keep up with your brothers, man? How, how's your mom? Like, everything good? And there was, like, a switch that happened with his responses. Now, remember, this is a, the guy that grew up, and he's like, and he just started going. He's like, nah, man, I'm, they're so judgmental. Like, man, they're Christians, and they don't, they're supposed to be Christians. And, and like, man, the stuff that they, they said to me, and like, what are Christians, man? They don't even behave like Jesus behaved. And, and he just went on this rant about why his family chose to tell him that they disagreed with some of the stuff he was doing in life. And he wasn't having it. And he kept going back. No, man, is it the church? They say they do this, and they don't allow me to do it, like, and this and that. And I just stayed there, and I listened to him. And I was like, bro, like, why are you getting so defensive? Like, I just asked you about your brother and sister, like, your family. And, and there was something in me that I heard, like, I felt the Holy Spirit kind of say, and say, Ricky, like, the truth is that you defend what you love. And I was like, that's true. Like, ask a Houston Astros fan to defend the World Series. 
As somebody as a hardcore Cowboys fan, like, you defend what you love. Go make fun of somebody's kid. Go tell somebody that their wife can't cook. <laughs> like, what? Are you crazy? Why? <laughs> because you defend what you love. That's what it is. You defend what you love. And the truth is, and I started connecting the dots. And I was like, listen, when we are in our sin, we love our sin. We love what we're doing. We love how it makes us feel. We love that we're in control. We defend what we love. And he's here, and I'm pressing a little bit inward, knowing the backstory, and he's defending his, what, what he's about. He's defending who he is. He's, he's defending, like, why he decided to make choices in life. He's defending his life now. He's defending what he loves. And we do the same thing. And I started thinking, like, man, this is exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. Paul says this. He's like, you're either a slave to the world or you're a slave to God. There's no middle ground. You either love God or you love the world, period. Romans chapter 1. He's like, man, when you love your sin... God says, I'm just going to let you go ahead and do it. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to fulfill you. It's going to be destructive. And you're going to get a place in your life where you hit rock bottom. Remember, we talked about this. And now you have to look for a savior. And by God's grace, he allows you to hit rock bottom. And he starts to build you up. Jesus even said this. He's like, man, no man can serve two masters. you got to pick one. But you see, you defend what you love. And you see, I started thinking about, you see, the broken, we, we live in a, a, a really interesting culture right now. The broken say, like, if you care for me, you must accept me, including my sin. And in order for you to prove that you care for me, you must not just accept it, but you must celebrate in it. If you don't celebrate in it, that means that you don't care for me, which is 100% incorrect. Because I could love you and disagree and still love you and care for you and want the best for your life and still hang out and all that stuff. But that's what our culture says. But I started thinking about this woman that came to see Jesus because Jesus is totally opposite. Because Jesus is like, I accept the prayer. If I care for you, I'm going to accept you and I'm not going to celebrate your sin. I'm going to celebrate your freedom from your sin. He's like, that's how I work. Because I know what true freedom is. And, and I want to give you life. And I want to give you what it does not destroy you. You see, sin produces guilt and shame in our lives. That's evident. That is the byproduct when we are wrapped in our sin and we get defensive. And then we start feeling this, the outcome of that, which is this feeling that people are secretly judging me. Like everyone is looking at my life. People are judging me. I feel inadequate, unlovable. And when you feel inadequate, unloved, and, and that people are judging me, the only thing left to, for me to do is disappear. I got to get away. I mean, even to the point where I was like, dude, where you live at? He's like, I live in Dallas now. I was like, yeah, but you're working for Fort Worth. He's like, I have a roommate in Dallas. I was like, I get it, man. You disappear. You go away. That's why when, when we see people leave the church, 
a lot of it is that. And it's like, oh, it's like they're going to judge me. I can't come back. Like, it's been too long. It's too hard. And, man, and I was like, man, I pray that God removes that lie from your life. We want you back. We want you here. We want you to know Christ. And let us help you work through this stuff. So I want to look at this woman, and there's just three quick thoughts about Jesus in this passage that I think applies to all of us. Because whenever we feel guilt and shame because we are in our sin, there's a couple of myths that we need to kind of bypass from Jesus based on what we see the way that Jesus spoke to this woman. So number one, Jesus meets you with compassion and not judgment. Jesus meets you with compassion and not judgment. Now, I want to put a little asterisk by that because judgment is coming at the end. So right now, Jesus is saying, come all to me who are sick. You need a doctor. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I am here for those who are sinful. I came for the sinner. John 3, 17, for I did not come to condemn, but I came to save. Jesus came. So Jesus looks at her and does not judge her. You know who judges her? Simon. So what does Jesus do? Jesus steps in that gap. How do I know that? Look what the scripture says. It says that Jesus looks at her and he talks to him. Why does he do that? Because you defend what you love. So he's looking at her. He's like, man, I love you so much. Forget Simon. Don't worry about Simon. He, he, he's in the old covenant right now. So he's defending her honor. He's defending her life. He's like, I know that there's faith in your heart. I know you're seeking forgiveness, and I know you're coming to me. This guy didn't even welcome. He didn't even clean my feet, and you're washing my feet with your tears. You are forgiven because of your faith, not because of what you just did. So he's looking at this lady. He's talking to her. He's in that gap because he looks at her with compassion, and he's blocking the judgment. That's how Jesus works. So he's looking at her. He's defending her honor. He's defending her life because you defend what you love, and he's trying to help her out. He looks at the woman but speaks to the Pharisee. That's such a beautiful picture of Jesus. I got to go number two. Jesus requires faith and not penance. Jesus requires faith, but not penance. I probably said that wrong. What does that mean? You see, when this lady came, it says in verse 50, says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He doesn't say your faith has saved you now. You owe me. You see, what penance is, is like when you go to somebody and you ask for forgiveness and you realize that you have sinned, and then they're like, go, my son, you're forgiven. But first, you must go and pray 10 times. And then you must go give money to this. Make sure you attend all these masses. I'm not trying to call nobody out. I'm just saying. But a lot of that bleeds into our lives. And what Jesus is saying, he's like, no, listen, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You don't owe me nothing. You don't have to do anything. Your life is completely changed now because later on, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to take all of our sin, and he's about to heal us, and he's about to do all that for us. 
So Jesus requires only faith. You don't have to do anything else. He doesn't require this penance of like, I'm, I'm forgiven, now I must go do. No, he's like, you're forgiven, now you just go. Period. Which leads us to our last point and we'll be done. Jesus leaves you with peace and not pressure. Jesus leaves you with peace and not pressure. I love how he ends it. He's, that's what he says. He's like, listen, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, in, in the old covenant, when people would go to do the sacrificial systems, they would go do all that, and as they're leaving, they're already starting to plan for next year. There's a little bit of a pressure, like, okay, we got it through this year. All right, guys, we got to start. How are we going to do this next year? So there's a little bit of a pressure throughout the entire year of the ceremonies. How am I going to afford, you know, the lamb? How am I going to find a blemished lamb? Are, are, the, are the, the Pharisees and the Levites going to hustle me at the temple again? There's a little bit of a pressure in life. And what Jesus says is like, no, no, just go in peace. Because my forgiveness and my unconditional for love and forgiveness for you, the outcome of that is peace. You're going to have peace. Period. Now the outcome of sin is the opposite. That's the destructive nature. That's what causes you to think that everybody's looking at you. There, there's no peace in that. You, you meander through life with this weight and this pressure on your shoulders because you feel like you're not right with God. And what Jesus says is your faith made you well. Go in peace and I'll go and live. And I'm going to be with you. Guys, there's a grace when it comes with Christ. There's this beautiful grace when it comes with Jesus. And my prayer is that anybody here that feels like you can't come to Christ because you feel like you've, you've jacked it up too bad. Like, man, like, ah, Ricky, I didn't do good with my family. I, I didn't do good at this part of my life. I keep falling back. I want you to understand something. Christ is inviting you to welcome him. But you got to take that step. He's drawing you to him, but you need to show up. And you need to tell Christ that you need forgiveness. And what Jesus is going to do is when everybody else around you is judging you and pointing fingers, he's going to defend you. And he's going to say, no, no, no. You're forgiven because your faith has made you well. Go in peace and go live in my grace. And, and there's a freedom behind that, y'all. I'm telling you, there's a freedom behind that. You know, last night we got to celebrate um, Ernesto's birthday. And I just loved the, the sense of joy in the room. Like seeing my brothers and sisters just having a great time, like celebrating our brother and, and just dancing and just, just going, just, just having fun. Y'all, that's freedom right there. That is true freedom. And that freedom is only found in Christ. Let's pray for us. Lord, I love you and we thank you so much. God, thank you for stepping in the gap, Father. As we go through life not understanding or not, not realizing if we could do this or not. Lord, we wel you, you welcome us. You draw us to you. And through your blood and through your sacrifice, there is forgiveness. So God, I pray for those in this room 
who are struggling with that. Because you took that for us. And Lord, we thank you for true and complete freedom in you. Thank you for covering with your, with your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.